In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Feelin' Film podcast. We're fast approaching our one-year anniversary, five days away at the time of this recording, in fact. And for episode 52, we decided to tackle a genre that we have not yet attempted. I think that the closest we may have come would be Passengers, but this week's film isn't set in space and doesn't include androids. No, this week we are indeed testing the name of our show. And we are feeling a romantic favorite based on the novel by Nicholas Sparks, The Notebook. Yes, you heard it here first, folks. Two dudes talking about The Notebook. (laughs) I expect this to be very uh, enlightening or at the very least uh, interesting in terms of the conversation we're going to have, my friend. Well, Patrick, uh, yes, don't you know it, man. I expect this to be a very unique one for us as well. I'm not not quite sure what to expect. I I tweeted out about this uh, just a little bit ago, how we're about to go live and and start recording this episode. And, uh, you know, something's it's going to be can't miss listening. I think can't miss radio or podcasting for for the listeners, because (laughs) one way or another, this is going to be special and different than what they've ever gotten from us. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a well-known hopeless and romantic. And so this movie puts my emotions in overdrive. I'll be upfront and honest about that right away. But before we get too weepy, um, let's catch up on stuff that did not make us cry. Uh, have you been doing anything this week? Did you get around to any extra entertainment in your life? Well, it's been all OJ all the time for this guy. This, Holy uh, this moly. last week. <laughs> you are not lying. <laughs> Don't tell me you watched the other OJ series too. I know oh, I did. You, oh, yeah. you did. I, <laughs> I did. <laughs> so, as you know, last week I watched the documentary uh, OJ Made in America, which I thought was phenomenal and definitely Oscar worthy. And then uh, this past week, I actually listened. Uh, excuse me, I watched the FX miniseries The People versus OJ Simpson. If you're not familiar with it, it's a I believe it's a nine episode. Uh, television miniseries and it stars Cuba Gooding Jr. as O.J. Simpson, Sarah Paulson as Marsha Clark, John Travolta, Sterling K. Brown, Kenneth Choi, just a bunch of different people. David Schwimmer's in this, which is kind of crazy because I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen him in anything since like his days of friends. So, um, and I got to tell you, uh, it's 11 episodes. I'm sorry. So I'm watching this and I got to say it's very entertaining. That's for sure. And when you when you look at it up against something like OJ Made in America, you have to take it for what it is, and that it's a it's a it's a TV series, it's a mini series. It's it's very much given the ability to take liberties with certain things, and and so I you know I took it with a grain of salt. I didn't expect every little thing to be like, hey, was that true? Hey, was that true? And of course, I did some fact checking on certain moments that I thought, hey, I don't know if that was real, but if that was, that would have been pretty phenomenal. But the thing that I enjoyed about it the most was the fact that, you know, with the creative liberties that were taken, it helped amplify certain things that the documentary didn't necessarily put a uh, put a spotlight on. In particular, the the arrogance and the ego of the defense, you know, between um, 
between Johnny Cochran and um, and uh, Robert Shapiro, you know, those two guys having this kind of relationship during the case of wanting to be kind of the head honcho, the big dog. Um, that was an element that was there, but became very much from an entertainment standpoint, very much amplified. And so that was sort of a small example of things. There were other things like with um, Christopher Darden making the uh, argument not to bring the N-word into court and um, and uh, Johnny Cochran basically verbally smacking him down. It was one of those things where you see this played out and you know that it happened and then you see it dramatized and it's just like, wow. <laughs> yeah. So the, the whole series was just really great to watch. Um, the major beef that I have with it is that I never actually pictured any of these guys in their roles. Like, I mean, I knew that Cuba Gooding Jr. was playing OJ Simpson, but I never saw quote OJ Simpson. I always saw Cuba Gooding Jr. Um, and the same thing with, um, you know, with Robert Kardashian. I mean, it was always going to be David Schwimmer with really weird hair. <laughs> right. And, uh, and John Travolta, you know, playing Shapiro. The, um, you know, Sterling K. Brown, who we know from This Is Us, he played Christopher Darden. I thought he was phenomenal. Um, put up against his, you know, his real life counterpart. I thought he was probably the closest that I saw in terms of, uh, of, of you know, connection. And the same thing with, um, Courtney B. Vance, who played, played Johnny Cochran. So I think you apparently have to have, you know, go by a first name, middle initial, last name in order to be kind of visually accurate to your to your real life counterpart between <laughs> Courtney B. Vance and Sterling K. Brown. So, yeah, I, I really had a good time with this. Um, I think I'm all OJ'd out. I may come back to this maybe a year from now, but both of these have been really, really enjoyable for 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 different reasons. And um and I, I highly recommend it. It's on Netflix right now. It's a uh, American Crime Story is actually the name of it officially, but The People versus O.J. Simpson is the subtitle. Nice. Well, that's uh, it's definitely one that I've wanted to get around to at some point. But the length is certainly intimidating uh, after having plowed through the O.J. doc itself. Um, this one has not been as high of priority, probably for me, because I don't know that I have as much of an interest in the drama dramatized is that the right way to say that dramatized version of the story and and I think you know what you're pointing out are is exactly the things I would have noted and exactly the things that might have made it less engrossing for me which is you know not not seeing OJ as OJ I actually wonder if people who haven't seen either one if we were going to make recommendations and you've seen both so maybe you can speak to this do you think it might be better for people to watch this first uh, and then go to the dock, or do you think that, uh, in terms of you know order of watching these two OJ centric uh, pieces of work, do you think that the dock should come before the the drama series? Which one would you say? I think both try to accomplish something different. I think if you're really trying to get an honest picture of what our country evo- has evolved from, um, using OJ Simpson as a central character i think made in america is perfect for that but if you're really looking for kind of a quote based on a true story exciting drama uh that uses the events of the oj simpson murder trial as its centerpiece this would be phenomenal to start with so it just depends on what you want i I would say 
for informational purposes. You go with uh, Made in America for entertainment purposes. <laughs> go with the the uh, the drama. Okay, that's uh, see, that's that's good good value. I guess. Do you think that if somebody wants to watch both, do you think though that by watching the drama first, that that affects your ability to then see those characters as their real life counterparts? Whereas if maybe you watch the drama first, you're not going to be as invested at that point with OJ being OJ. You might be able to accept Cuba. That that do you think that that might have played into it some since you watched them back to back in the order you I, did? Yeah, I, I got I got what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it could. Um, you know, you you I think with with the with the documentary being so fresh in my head. Yeah, I think it I think it would be beneficial to watch the drama first in order to catch some of the believability of the characters. The thing that I I got kind of miffed about was just the fact that some of these characters were they felt a little overly dramatic uh particularly david schwimmer's character because i'll always know him as ross from from friends even his character in band of brothers i couldn't get past ross even as dramatic as he was in that and the same thing with john travolta i've seen him in so many things uh that it's just it's hard to put believability behind these characters when they're trying to portray real people you know it's one thing to believe these guys are playing fictitious characters because you suspend yourself in these fictitious worlds. But when you have like, I don't even, I don't, I didn't know Robert Kardashian's story apart from even the documentary. I mean, there wasn't a lot from the documentary, but I just didn't believe that David Schwimmer was Robert Kardashian because all I saw was, you know, the actor from something like friends. So I think that's probably where my bias comes in. Um, It may be that, other people won't see that, but that's you know that that's kind of why my bias came in where it is. Makes sense to me. So, anyway, that was what I did. You know, OJTV all week for me. So good stuff. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What, what have you been up to? Well, uh, several things. I had uh, you know work's been extremely busy uh, recently this month, and I'm excited to get back to a, l- a little more free time than I've had. Um, because uh, these screenings, oh goodness gracious, these press screenings in Seattle are starting to, I guess movie season's starting to ramp up now as we, we head toward, you know, May and the summer blockbuster time. And these things are starting to come out hot and heavy. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't make them. <laughs> I want to go. Um, but I have been able to catch a couple things. Um, one thing I did is I rewatched Creed just on a whim the other night. I don't remember what I was doing, but I was, I was doing something else. Oh, I remember what I was doing. I was you drafting. were making a good decision is what you were doing. You were making a good decision. Well, that's that's true. what you were doing. It is always a good decision. Um, I was fantasy baseball drafting. So, yeah, that was one thing I was going to mention is baseball's back. As of recording this, it is literally opening day or pre-opening day, I guess we would call it. Tomorrow, Monday is opening day. Um, but baseball's back, and I was doing my fantasy draft, and I was like, you know, I want to watch something that I've seen so I don't have to give it 100% of my attention, but – kind of want it to be a little bit themed and I probably should have thrown on Moneyball to be honest. Uh, but anyway, anyway, Creed was sitting there in our library of, uh, of our joint feeling film voodoo la- titles. And I was like, Hey, let's, let's throw this on. So I, so I put Creed on and I, I believe it might've been the first time I've watched it since the theater. Cause I saw it twice in the theaters and, um, gosh, gosh, man, it's so good. So good. I mean, it's great. Um, I actually bumped my rating up from a four and a half to a five after this viewing, I just realized there there really is nothing that I don't enjoy about this film. I, I, I'm not going to go deep into it, and there's a reason. 
um, because you and I talked about this after I watched it, and uh, both of us are big sports guys. We love sports. Um, we have our favorite teams. We we watch them. We like to play them when we can. We root for for them, and we love sports movies. So we should probably do a sports movie month, right? That would make sense. I yeah, and I agree. So with that. and <laughs> so this uh, this kind of led us to that conclusion. Um, watching Creed. So I'm going to save my thoughts on that because maybe we'll be doing that here in the in the future sometime later this year. Um, but I can tell you, gosh, man, every I hope everybody goes and sees this movie and doesn't ever get hung up on the fact that it is a quote-unquote sequel to Rocky because it, this movie stands alone. I mean, it stands on its own merits, mm-hmm. and I will watch the crap out of anything that uh, Ryan Coogler ever directs because – after this and Fruitvale Station, I am like 100% in that guy's corner. No pun intended. Uh, uh, bum Ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> um, other stuff I did this week, I did take my son to a press screening on a Saturday morning, which was Smurfs the Lost Village. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a little solo episode to discuss that one here later this week, but my quick take on that is I was pleasantly surprised, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was shocked. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be awful and it, it wasn't awful. <laughs> so that's a win, right? Um, and also, also, you know, it was a free movie with my boy and I happened to have a large popcorn, a large drink coupon come to my, t- my email and my phone 30 minutes before the movie started, um, at the theater that we just happened to be at. It was like a birthday reward. And so, you know, we got the whole shebang, like, free for that movie. It was just, it was kind of a cool experience. Uh, yeah, other than that, I've, I've tried to keep up with some of my Bond movies. I watched a couple earlier in the, the week, and I'm into Roger Moore now, uh, into that era. And just, it's been fun. It's been fun to to go back through them and, and start to see the differences and, and where the tone shifts occurred and um, kind of you know, figure out what, where my memories are faulty, to be honest. You know, there are things that as a, as a young kid, I uh, thought were pretty awesome. And some of those I'm, I'm finding out now, <laughs> I, I don't think they were so awesome. <laughs> um, other things are, are just as awesome as I thought they were. Like when I was a kid, like James Bond running across alligators, that does not lose any bit of its amazingness. <laughs> that's great that's great but yeah that's about it i guess um it's been you know a little bit of a slower week for me well you know you're you're entitled to that so it's it's good to have a break here and there right <laughs> yeah i would say it definitely is well we're here to talk about the notebook um and that is what we're gonna do so we're gonna spoil the heck out of this movie um it is quite old and if you haven't seen it yet i'm shocked but you know don't don't listen to us because this movie does have some things that you will never be able to experience it the right way if you hear us mm-hmm. talk about it before you watch it. So I do urge you to check the movie out if you have any passing interest in it at all and then come back for the conversation. With that being said, I wanted to start off by mentioning that this is what I believed going into it was the movie that started the Nicholas Sparks film craze. Now, it's a film that is adapted from a book by this author, Nicholas Sparks, uh, who became a, a very well-known and wealthy romance author in the 90s. 
or late nineties, early two thousands. Um, come to find out I was wrong. So I just want to throw a couple stats out about the notebook before I get your hot take on it, Patrick. Um, that is that this is one of 10, what would eventually be 10 Nicholas Sparks adaptations. Now that's a lot. I, I, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to rack my brain to think of other authors that have had 10 of their books made into movies. Um, I would say probably Agatha Christie might have in some form or fashion, you know, various different things, but there are Ian Fleming, if we're going to talk bond, but that's like a series, but you know, as far as like unique individual stories go, uh, Stephen King would probably be one, but you know, it's rare. It's very rare. Um, but this guy has done that and it's kind of shocking when you look at the data. So the notebook is actually the highest rated film of the 10 in Rotten Tomatoes. And it's actually 20% higher than the next closest film. And it chimes in at a whopping 52% on the Rotten Tomato meter. That is the highest <laughs> out of 10. This guy has 10 movies made. Not only that, but it is the second highest grossing film. So it made about $115 million. The The first Nicholas Sparks, by the way, was A Message in a Bottle. Or Message in a Bottle. Yes. Um, and it is the highest grossing. But it also had an incredibly high budget. So it didn't make as much, you know off that budget got kevin costner in it, i think right I it think did I remember i think it's yeah. got yeah mm -hmm. and his yeah. his ex was were they married at one point uh it's got robin wright penn i believe i guess she would be married to not sean sure. penn. sean penn at some point not kevin costner um <laughs> okay yeah i don't know why i'm confusing kevin costner with sean penn but hey it was it was Easy late to do. late 90s yeah. early 2000s <laughs> you know it all blends together yeah so anyway those are just a couple of interesting stats about this film because it is probably widely regarded as the most memorable pure romance movie of the 2000s. At least when I speak to women in my life that I know, everyone seems to have seen this and every one of them seems to love it. Um, Patrick, have you seen it before watching it for the podcast? Yes and no. I, my first and really only experience with it before the podcast was with my at the time newlywed wife I was coming home from work one afternoon and we were I remember it was our first year being married because we were in our apartment and she was watching this movie and it had this guy named Ryan Gosling in it um, and I was like hey that's the guy from remember the Titans uh, <laughs> And as she was watching it and I was making dinner and, and I, I see her tearing up. This is like the first time outside of our wedding that I've seen my wife begin to kind of quote unquote ugly cry. Okay. And I'm like, Oh gosh, what's happening here? Um, is she mad? Is she upset? What, what happened? <laughs> because I've never seen her tear up in a movie. The, the, and I noticed that she's kind of reacting to the movie at some point. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, let her kind of have her moment. And then she finishes the movie credits roll. She gets up because she's, she hasn't given me a hug or anything yet. She comes over and she hugs me and she goes, don't ever leave me. <laughs> it's just this wow. great kind of <laughs> moment that I'm like, okay, I love you. <laughs> 
And of course, I have no idea what's just happened here because having not seen the movie. And I said, I said, are you okay? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, just the movie. It gets me. And, uh, and there were a couple of other instances where I remember sitting down with her when it was on television and watching uh, portions of it with her. But this is the first time I've actually watched it in its entirety. And, um, you know, I, I watched this kind of as a, as a person who is reviewing it for this podcast and not as a single or married woman, obviously. And I wanted to get her opinion on that. So that was kind of part of what uh, I was excited about is I, I asked her today, actually, I said, what was it about the movie or what is it about this movie that stands out to you? Why do you enjoy it so much? And she said, it really connected with me when I was single because it's, these weren't her words, these are mine. It realized a desire that I had to be with someone and to be with someone forever. And so to be married and to have that someone helped fulfill that. And she goes, I wonder what it would be like if I watched it purposefully eight years into our marriage. And she hasn't watched, she didn't watch it with me this time, but I, th I think it's kind of piqued her interest. And so I would be interested to see how she would respond to it now, us being eight and a half years into our marriage to see if she still connects at certain points, if certain things really uh, grab her the way they did when she first watched this. But she says it was a very significant movie for her as a single person. And so as someone who didn't have a history with this, single or otherwise, it was neat to be able to kind of experience that and to see what she saw and to kind of enjoy it from the standpoint of, of a film. And, uh, and as a film, I thought it was really well done. I don't know that, you know, I think it accomplished what it was trying to accomplish. I think it, it, uh, it had some really great romantic moments, some really great funny moments, some really great, uh, just the story was very simple. It didn't try to do anything more than it, than it was meant to do. Um, but, but I really enjoyed it when I watched it. Um, and I can, I can see how my wife specifically, I can't speak for all women, but I can see how my wife specifically would, would find a connection with a movie like this. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it, you know, it, a lot of, uh, it's hard to talk about it without feeling like you're stereotyping because when many women respond to this film in a certain way, um, it's because of a, you know, certain aspect of the, the female character largely, um, who is going through this experience and, um, you know, everything that occurs around that. I, you know, I, I respond to it pretty strongly too, though. <laughs> and I, I don't know what that says about me. Um, like I said, I'm a hopeless romantic, so probably that has something to do with it. And and of course, your life experience. I love what you just said about what are you wondering what your wife would think of it now, eight years into your marriage. Um, would it be different? Would it be uh, something that is, you know, would she look back on it more in the sense of how the movie plays in memories? Because now she has memories with you versus the idea of what was going to happen in the future, uh, as she might have thought mm -hmm. before she ever got married, like when she was single. Um, I, I remember liking it previously. Um, I did not like it as much this time around as a film. I thought that Gosling was pretty weak, honestly, for some of the movie. Um, he just didn't, didn't sell me. It felt very much like an early Ryan Gosling performance. Um, where 
he, he, he just wasn't there yet. It felt to me like La La Land light or La La Land, not the musical, um, in a lot of ways, <laughs> both thematically and then acting wise. Uh, because there were times where, but there were times where Ryan Gosling has phenomenal chemistry, right? Uh, in some of the more emotional and romantic scenes in the film. Um, and then there's some times when he was trying to be this country guy. And I just, I was like, gosh, come on, man. Like, you're not, you're not selling me on this at all. I, I don't buy for one second that you live out in a cabin in the middle of the woods. <laughs> and I just, I just didn't buy it, you know? Um, and that kind of took me out of it a little bit. Uh, so, you know, it was good. It wasn't phenomenal for me. Um, but what was still there and what I rate the movie overall on more than anything else is it's emotional response or, or the emotional response that it evokes in me. And I can't watch this film without crying myself. I can't watch this film without <laughs> smiling and having my heart flutter. Um, thinking about, you know, past romantic relationships, um, or thinking about future ones that I wish I could have, you know, just, it brings out so many different feelings. And I, I think that that's, like you said, that's a win. Like that, that does what it's intending to do. And some might, right. somebody, some might call that emotional manipulation. Um, I don't know that I would call it that. I'm watching characters on a screen do things that, you know, lovebirds do <laughs> and make choices that people make. So I don't really feel like I'm being manipulated, uh, necessarily. Mm. Um, but I, you know, it, it's a good, it's a good story. <laughs> um, yeah, at, at its heart. Yeah, I, I agree. And you mentioned emotional manipulation. While I, I can, while I have a personal kind of, you know, disagreement with, the movie in terms of saying there are certain moments, there are certain things about it that I don't agree with from a personal standpoint. When you talk about a movie as entertainment, a form of entertainment like this, you expect to be emotionally manipulated. I mean, that's what movies are. That's kind of a byproduct of what movies are made to do is they're supposed to emotionally manipulate. They're supposed to make you feel something. It's really the essence of, of what our show is based on is that we are, we are meant to feel something in every film that we see, whether that succeeds, I think is, you know, that's, that's where our discussion kind of fleshes itself out. But there were moments in this movie that I felt emotionally manipulated in a good way. I felt, uh, I felt like I wanted the same things that our main characters wanted. I felt a sense of frustration with characters that I was supposed to be frustrated with. I felt a sense of camaraderie with guys like Finn. And can I, can I say though, when, when I, I got to speak up real quick that, okay. That is something that bugs me about the movie. Like that is one of the few negatives that I have about this film is Finn. Okay. Because I, I, I feel like he is so thrown in and this partially probably comes from, um, my viewing of him in Entourage, I think it is. I think he's in Entourage. And I just, I <laughs> okay. can't, I can't see him as anything else. But the problem I have is he's, he's like this kind of comedic relief friend that's there. And then mm-hmm. when he dies, it really bugged me because there is, it is, it is about a five second shot and there is nothing. There's no emotional reaction. Yep. 
and there is nothing else about him in the rest of the, in the rest of the entire of the film. Like, I, I don't even know. It's like, why is this even here? Why do we need to show this? <laughs> this has nothing to do with the romance. Yeah. It doesn't come back to haunt Gosling. It's not something he has to deal with and overcome, which would have made sense. And that would have been fine, but they just drop it completely. Like it never happened. And I, that, that bothered me. And I'm sorry to tangent, but that's, that's one of the few things I wanted to at least mention that I didn't like. Okay. Well, it, and rightly so. I actually, I'm looking at a note right now. Uh, it's a bullet point that says, quote, I wish there were more drama with Finn's death. <laughs> hey, so we're on the so same I, page. Okay. We are. But that being said, as as weak as Finn's character was, it was still a character that had his moments. I, I loved his, I loved his, um, they were going to the movie and he get in and uh, Finn's like, you look great and you look great. I know I look great. So we could we please go see this movie. And he, he Again, I'm not going to bring out Finn and being like, let's talk about him because, I mean, there's not much to say about him. But as an example, these main characters and the other characters that they interact with bring about, you could call them shallow emotions, but they're still emotions. They they accomplish what they mean to do. And I think that's where the success of the film lies with me is that you have you have a wish, <laughs> you have a wishful thinking that exists you have a hopeful attitude that exists in this movie that is very apparent. It might be heavy handed at times, but it's connectable. And it's something that I think an audience resonates with. Uh, maybe not the 48% of people, you know, maybe the 48% of 48% of people that, that didn't like it, didn't connect with that. But the, uh, the 52% on rotten opinions, apparently people did. And you have some success in that. Now, does it mean it should be an Oscar caliber film? No, not necessarily, but it's okay. And I, I, you made a great point. I don't know if you've said this on the show or not, but films don't have to be really great or really horrible to be valuable. Absolutely. And the the Notebook is a good movie. It's not awful. I would recommend it to people because I think it's a good story. When you compare it to others that I would you know, compare as well, I would say, yeah, go see this maybe third, fourth, fifth, or sixth if you're looking for this. But if someone's saying, I need a really good romantic movie uh, with a pretty solid cast, um, and I'm like, okay, Nicholas Sparks, you really can't go wrong, and specifically The Notebook, because I think it accomplished those things. It, it was very much an entertaining movie that had some substance, but wasn't so overpowering that you felt preached to and wasn't so sappy that you felt like oh gosh i mean i'm gonna get sticky from all the all the sappiness that's in this movie um within within all the romance there was a genuineness there and i think that's where i was surprised because some of the stuff that i'm seeing i'm going oh gosh that's a crazy romantic movie but there's also some some genuineness there uh, in particular i love the the opening lines that duke says i'm nothing special just a common man with common thoughts and I've led a common life. But in one respect, I've succeeded as gloriously as anyone who's ever lived. I've loved another with all my heart and soul. And to me, that has always been enough. That is a true statement. Yep. That, yep. Is, a, that, is, a, that, that is an attainable, real statement. It's not like he's saying, I've slayed dragons for a princess. <laughs> right. That's a statement that any of us, as men, we can. it's possible for us to make that statement. And so when you start a movie like that, to me, I'm going, I'm going, okay, great. I can connect with that. Where are we going to go? 
and I think that's where where the appeal started for me. Yeah, I I would agree, and I think the realism in a lot of this romance is also what draws me to it. Now, I'm taking out pieces there. I mean, I, you know, let's let's throw aside the whole hanging from a Ferris wheel by one hand and having your pants pulled down stuff. Like that's probably not realistic, but but entertaining. <laughs> it's definitely entertaining. Um, but but that line is actually one that that really resonates with me, and and I think having that that narration at the beginning of the film and 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 gosh, that, I mean, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. I've loved another with all my heart and soul, and for me, that has been enough. My goodness, like like you said, it's so attainable, and to put us, it puts us in the right place to watch this movie, um, and it sets that tone going forward. There's a another moment of that kind of realism that I really love. And that's when they're about to have sex for the first time. And they've, you know, they've, they've just been in the barn. It's, it's really, it's a wonderful scene all around because they've been in this barn and Allie is describing the house that she wants. And she kind of walks over and there's this old piano there and she's playing the piano. And then it kind of, you know, they become intimate and it gets down to this and they're about to have sex. And, She's like, talk me through this. <laughs> and it's, it's then it's, it's her, her not handling it well that is so normal. Like that's how these things happen. That's not how sex doesn't happen like it happens in the f- movies, you know, 90% of the time. And she's, she's talking and she's stuttering through this and she's like, what are you thinking right now? I'm talking too much, aren't I? And he gets frustrated, right? Understandably so. He's, he's like, you can tell that he's not angry. But he's just like, okay, clearly this is not going to happen the way that I thought it was going to happen. And it's it's like he wanted it – they both wanted it to be so perfect. And then he ends up taking a deep breath and and saying, I love you. Did you know that? And I I just really enjoy the fact that even that, that moment um, that in so many movies could be all about the physical – act of the of sex they stop and they pause and they put emotion behind it they put reason behind it and to me that's that's realistic like that's a more accurate portrayal of what true intimacy is going to look like in a relationship than just a hot steamy throw each other up against the wall and call it love kind of scene yeah i think that that scene is I think it's one example of several moments of really great chemistry between Gosling and McAdams. Obviously the scene later in the movie where they, they actually do have sex and it's, you know, after the big rain, you know, in the, mm-hmm. you know, in the boat or whatever. But even, even at the very beginning after he agrees to go out or she, excuse me, she agrees to go out with him you know, it's after that movie and they're walking down the road and it's quiet. The dialogue between them, I, I love how Noah just basically confronts her by saying, you don't seem free. And she's like, what? <laughs> and he challenges her. He goes, that's your problem. You don't do what you want. And, you know, they haven't been around each other very long. But in those first moments, what I see with them is a sense of... Th- and this is where the good chemistry comes in is that I felt like that that was a believable conversation. 
Like she, Mm -hmm. you know, he convinced her to go out with them and now he can kind of speak into her life, (laughs) which I mean, who says that kind of stuff? Who says that kind of stuff? You don't seem free. I mean, that's a very, that's a very bizarre statement to make on a first date or I guess a second date, if you count the Ferris wheel as being the first one. Uh, But I think that, you know, we get the first instances of how Gosling's character, how, how Noah cares for her. And wants to care for her beyond just trying to get lucky. And I think that leads into that scene later on where things are awkward. And where when he says, I love you, he's not manipulating her. You know, he's okay with it being what it is because he genuinely does care about her. He does love her. And um, and as you mentioned, when that scene doesn't play out the way it does... It could be considered a funny scene, but I think it's paid off by the fact that they have that previous history uh, beforehand. And I don't know, was there the montage? Yeah, there was the montage before then of them arguing and getting along and just doing all this stuff together, just showing kind of how their their relationship progresses. But you see these little little hints of it up to that point. And so when he says, I love you, it means something different than someone saying, I love you, wanting to get something else. I mean, his is a genuine, you don't have to feel, you can feel safe with me. Yeah. No matter what happens next, you're safe with me. And I think that's a very sincere thing to feel. And that's something that I connected with is, that's what I want with my relationship with my wife is the fact that no matter what, (laughs) through the bickering or through whatever, at the end of the day, I want her to feel safe with me. And, uh, and I, I love that. I thought that was visualized very, very beautifully. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I think, I think their chemistry shines the most in some of those moments and less, less so in the just passing kind of, ah, gosh, I don't know how to describe it, but in those big, I would almost say set pieces. <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm going to that as a reference, but you, I think of them as set pieces, like the big fight or the sex scene. Like these really big moments, I feel like their chemistry shines um, more so than in some of the moments where they're just walking through town. I guess that didn't connect as much with me as it did with you. Um, I'm assuming that's what you're referring to earlier, the things that you did like, like maybe when they're in the water, they're playing in the water and he's swinging on the swing and he's like, just, just jump in the mm-hmm. water, you know, like I kind of yeah. enjoy, I kind of enjoy that banter. Uh, between them but i again it's playful it's playful i think is, and that's something you don't see a lot with relationships is it's very playful mm-hmm. yeah and, and, I, and yeah. I like i like some of that um as well um the big fight scene for me is also somewhere where they really really show a lot of chemistry and i again go back to the realism i feel like this scene was such a, a, such an accurate portrayal of how people would act i mean she freaks out man she goes bonkers on him and she's like hitting him (laughs) and punching him and like physically attacking him and just shaking and she's slapping and completely breaking down and then she it's just like a teenager would do i mean what is she 17 in this movie or something like that and it's this complete bipolar freak out where at the end of it she's like no 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 never mind come back like don't leave you know she's just she's she doesn't know how to to handle what she's feeling because it's new and it's Mm -hmm. something she doesn't understand and she doesn't know how to put it in a bottle and control it. Um, And Mm -hmm. so it's just this raw emotion, um, this weight 
just flowing through her, um, causing all of this. And I felt like it was, oh gosh, it was so painfully, I mean, real, you know, I just, I felt like mm-hmm. that. Um, and of course they're in the rain, so it's a little bit, you know, worse, but, um, anyway, I, yeah, I really like mostly like their chemistry as well. <laughs> um, I, I actually had a question for you and that okay. is, so we haven't really talked about the ending and I don't want to talk about the ending yet, but this kind of ties into something that happened. So we understand that at the end of the film, everything we've been being told is put, comes together. You know, Duke and Noah are the same person. Allie is mm-hmm. the, the woman that is both in the past and also now in the nursing home. She has Alzheimer's, so she doesn't remember anything. So Duke is living in the nursing home with her, even though he's perfectly fine and reading to her the story of their life over and over and over and over and over until she remembers him for like every five minutes, uh, just to get that, just to get that few moments of, of having her back. Right. Because with Alzheimer's, you forget, um, before we get to that point. So taking out your knowledge of how it ends, did you feel leading up to that, like, Noah and Allie's relationship was really love or did, did you ever question that and think maybe this is just infatuation because while the ending proves that they were able to stay together forever. Um, and I guess you would assume they love each other clearly uh, from what we see. I had some reservations about was I being shown two people who really truly loved each other or were they just summer, summer love. Um, and it was really more infatuation leading up to that. Does that, does that question make sense? It does because I think it resonates with how Allie's parents feel versus how, um, maybe we as an audience are kind of, you know, wrestling with that. Mm -hmm. And I think it has to do with uh, what, what, what I mean by that is that Allie's parents, had that kind of thing where they thought it was just summer love, summer romance. And, you know, not knowing the ending, it's, I think it, it would have felt that way until, until that last letter was written by Noah and until his house got completed. Because I look at that and I go, summer love wouldn't write someone for over a year one letter a day for a year and be dedicated that way. And summer love wouldn't build a house indirectly for someone else. Now there, there are probably reasons to believe that he built that for himself, that he was trying to fulfill. Like if I can, you know, live, uh, this life hoping that she'll come back. I felt like that's kind of what I was getting, but I don't, I think if those two elements hadn't been there, if the story had gone on without knowing those two things had happened or those two events didn't take place, all the letters and in the house, that would have felt like a very kind of, you know, a romantic story because up to that point when Duke was reading this story to, to her, it felt in a similar way, like our, uh, main character, um, like the, the, the setup from the princess bride, you know, a guy reading this very great romantic tale to his, 
to his his grandson while he's sick in bed. That's kind of what I felt as I was watching this. And it wasn't until those two moments that I started going, hmm, maybe there's more to their relationship, at least in Noah's mind. And uh, and that it was beyond just a story right. for me. So that that's kind of my approach to it. That's that's kind of I don't know if that was a yes or no question or answer, but that's, that's kind of how I how I. It's a great answer. It's a great answer. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold back on what I think for now. Um, and come back to that. But um, that is exactly what I was was curious about because I I think at times I questioned it, and that's and that's all I was gonna get at, getting at with that is, um. And, and I'm not saying that that's poor movie making either. That's not my point in bringing this up. I, I think I'm, I'm just keeping going back to this word again of, of realism. Um, I think there are times in our lives and in our relationships where it feels like that sometimes. Sometimes from the outside, it may look superficial. Um, it, it, everything you do in a relationship is not going to scream that it's this long lasting forever kind of love. Uh, you know, not every single action day to day is going to do that. Um, but those things can build up as well. Um, the, so speaking of the ending, <laughs> I wanted to kind of talk a second about whether or not you, what your thoughts on this were. Um, I really was moved this time partic- in particular by the, the death scene of Allie and Noah or Duke and Allie, however you want to go by, whichever name you want to go by. The fact that he lays down and, and dies with her. I had not, I did not remember that from my previous watches. And so it, it hit me incredibly hard to be honest. And I wonder, is that real? You know, like, does that take me out of the movie? Because I go, Oh, come on now. Like, that's not, uh, you know, that's not, that's not something that could actually happen. Now, the writing in the, the story sets us up for this in a big way. Um, it's a fantastic lead up. The nurse is, is adorable. She knows that Duke, she tells Duke, you can't go, can't go see Allie, but I'm going to go downstairs and get some coffee. <laughs> and, uh, and you, you need to be back in your bed when I get back. So she knows, she knows what she's doing, right? And I love that. I love that sweet little moment where they know why he's there. They know about this love and this relationship these two people have, this marriage, and they're supportive of that. And Duke and Allie have this conversation. And Allie says, do you think our love can create miracles? And Duke says, I do. And she says, do you think our love can take us away together? And he says, I think our love can do anything we want it to. And then they go to sleep. And they die together. They just, they agree that they're done and they die. And the cynical part of me wants to say, that's unrealistic. That doesn't happen. But man, just last year, we saw Carrie Fisher pass away. And I want to say it was the exact next day her mother, Debbie Reynolds, dies. Mm Mm-hmm. How, maybe, maybe it can be that strong. Can love be that strong? Maybe because it's the fourth dimension. Maybe Christopher Nolan's on something here. <laughs> but, but I mean, I guess, I guess where I go to with this, this whole idea is that I kind of want to believe that you could love someone so much that you almost will yourself to not go on without them. 
And I, and I think that is incredibly, it gets incredibly romantic to me. I think it is too. I also think it's realistic and I also think it's, but I think it's realistic for some and that that's okay. I, I was, um, just a little, just a little personal thing. I was, uh, when I was out of town, my wife and I were, uh, were burying her, her mom, her mom had passed away. And so we were out at the cemetery and I was looking around at all these other tombstones that had, you know, names next, you know, on etched on them and things like that. And the things that I noticed, um, were that some of the tombstones had the death of the husband or the death of the wife. And then there was either a short period of maybe a year or two or a long period of 10, 15, 20, 30 years when the spouse died. <laughs> yeah. And I, there are stories that I think all of us can resonate with where for whatever reason, when one spouse passes away, it's not long before the other one does. But there are also other instances where when one spouse passes away, it's a long time before um, before another spouse does. Uh, it got me thinking about the scene in Goodwill Hunting where Robin Williams' character is asked by Will, you know, are you going to marry again? And he basically says... I've had my shot, you know, I'm, you know, I married my wife <laughs> and that's it. And he's choosing not to love again. He doesn't die, obviously, but he's choosing to say my story of love and loving my wife ends with her and I'm okay with that. And I think the same type of romance exists here in terms of adorable old people. <laughs> that's one thing that that drew me in was the adorability of these two characters uh, and subsequently the older people, you know, in the, in the nursing home. But, you know, I look at this of them dying, holding hands. And to me, that's perfection. I mean that for this movie, for this story that's being told, that's the way it's supposed to end. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to end with that dedication. And it made me think about the scene where uh, Noah and Allie are on, they're in the rowboat and they see these geese, apparently, these Guatemalan geese. I don't know what they're called, but he makes a comment and he says, um, they won't be here for very long. They're quote, going back to where they came from. And then that last scene after the, we see them, you know, die together, we see it fade and we see this flock of geese, the scene, this this like external shot of this flock of geese flying away. And to me, I connected back with that one moment that these guys, they're going back to where they came from, back to the place where they were completely in love, where they completely knew each other, where they were completely comfortable in their own skin with one another. And the ending made sense for them. But the thing is, I don't think that ending would make sense for everyone or every love story. Absolutely I think it's very not. specific to them. Yeah. And, I and think that's, that's what right. I think is beautiful about this. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think for them, this was the moment that, that, that made sense. Um, would this look like my love story? I don't know <laughs> when I'm not old and I don't have, uh, my, my love is not battling dementia, but it could be that she gets cancer and then I'm battling through this with her. Um, I, I don't know. I don't want to think about that stuff because that's just, ugh. but I think for, for both, um, Duke 
slash Noah and 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 Allie, this was the end for them, and this was what needed to be the ending for their for their story. I think that's absolutely how I would would word it too. Um, I <laughs> I I mean I I'm trying to think of like something to add to that, but you you really sum that up well, and it's so yeah, it's perfect. I mean, it, my connecting point. I almost chose this and I didn't because it's, it's such a brief scene. So such just a moment really. But when Allie remembers him for the first time, um, when she finally, when it all hits her and it, and we get to see her knowing that that is Noah that's reading to her all this time. It's not this random guy, Duke. Um, I lose it in this movie. And he says to her, it's it's the line that I remember the most out of this film. He says, you just went away for a little while. And it's like, oh, my yeah, goodness good. gracious. Like, because everything he's done, you know, however many times a day he reads this story over and over and over. And he does, like I said, he does all of this for, what, five minutes, three minutes of recognition from her again. Um, It crushes me because... It, you know, it doesn't have to just be this love story. I think, I think of that in terms of our own, all of our need for attention and recognition and, um, you know, adoration from the ones that we love. You know, we, we need those things. Um, acts of, acts of, it's the love languages in a lot of ways, you know, acts of service. You know, you, you want to know that that person, acknowledges you and is thinking about you and, and knows who you are. And he goes through his entire life, mostly not getting that from her. She has no idea who he is. And so I think about how meaningful those moments are for me, you know, in my life and, you know, ramp that up times a hundred for this guy in his current relationship. And it just is so, so soul crushing. Um, I also on a personal level, um, I lost my grandfather to Alzheimer's and I, I guess you technically don't lose anybody to Alzheimer's really, but, um, it has, you know, other complications that come with it that ultimately will end up taking someone's life. And I lived through this. Uh, I lived through my grandfather forgetting who we were. I watched him go from the most devout, uh, Baptist, Southern Baptist Bible, um, loving man who had never ever said a curse word in his life uh, to cussing out my grandma with words that I don't even know how he knows, to be honest. I don't know where he would have even heard these words um, and not understanding who she was. I, I watched him. I watched him yell at his wife and say, what did you do with my wife? Where's my wife? Why are you keeping her from mm. me? Like, I mean, wow. not have watched him not know who I was, not know who my mom, his daughter was. And, and I mean, this is, this is a no kidding, awful, awful disease when you take someone's mind away from them. Um, not, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't say you take someone when someone's mind is taken away from them. Um, and so I, this movie is a little bit therapeutic for me too, I think, because while it's portraying Alzheimer's, it, it, it also ends on a somewhat happy note and it makes me, it gives me hope and makes me want to believe that at some point in my own grandma's life and in my own parents relationships with their dad, when they saw him before he passed away, that, that maybe, maybe they did get these five minutes where 
they had those moments where he recognized them again and they could hang on to that and cling to those moments uh, just the way that Noah did. Absolutely. And that theme of struggling with knowing who you are, um, I think with Ali specifically resonates throughout this movie, not only in those scenes where as an old woman who has uh, you know, Alzheimer's, I don't know what that's like. I mean, I can't even claim to know that even from a relative point of view. But, you know, I look at that scene and I look at the fact that earlier on in the film, she is struggling. Part of her character is struggling with who she wants to be or who she's supposed to be. Is she supposed to be this woman that pursues a career that goes to Sarah Lawrence in New York or is she supposed to be with Noah? Um, or is she supposed to be with, with, with Lon? You know, it, it's this, 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 this thing of like, I don't know who I am. And she even says something at one point. She goes, I am this way with Lon and I'm this way with Noah. <laughs> and she doesn't know who that person really is. And in some ways, I think that we get a peek at that with, with older Allie where she is, we don't know what's going on in her head, but we know that there are moments when she recognizes Noah as the love of her life. And then a minute later she says, get out of my room. What are you doing? Get away from me. And in that moment, the gosh, uh, I was like when she has her panic attack, I mean, it's so sad. And when you couple that with Noah's breakdown on his bed, on her bed, you know, just putting his hands in his, you know, his head in his hands. I mean, it's just awful because he's like, I know who you are and this isn't you. And I wish that you could see that. I wish that you knew who you were so that you could come back to me. And, and it's very hurtful. It's very tough because when, you know, to me, I think when you don't know what you want, don't know who you are, you feel lost. There's something very, very scary about that. There's something scary about going, I don't know what I'm supposed to be. I don't know who I'm supposed to be. And and beyond just occupation, just really about, okay, am I supposed to be this kind of husband? Am I supposed to be this kind of dad? Am I supposed to be this kind of whatever? And when you're lost in that place of going, I don't know who I am, it is it is scary, man. It's scary. And I think that we get pictures of that in her conversations with Noah and with Lon and then we get that in her moments with Duke as a as an as an old woman, and uh, and I think that's one of the most one of the more effective things that this movie does is it allows us to kind of reflect on the fact that when we don't we're not confident when we don't know who we are or what we want, scary things happen. We're left in this place of real ambiguity that can be so defeating, <laughs> it can be so disarming in a bad way that. We almost feel like we're cringing in a corner going, I don't know what to do anymore. Um, it's, it's, it touches on, you know, where, you know, depression kind of rears its ugly head. <laughs> you feel disarmed. You feel um, very vulnerable and in dark places. And it's just not, it's not a happy place. It's not a good place to be. And I, and I think we get pictures of that with her which is something that surprised me about this movie because the notebook is traditionally known as this romantic, hopeless romantic movie, but there's some, there's some other moments here that can be, 
that can be explored as like, hmm, that's that's some that's some big stuff, and and this seems to be one of them. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, I like I said, I'd totally forgotten about the the love triangle aspect of this film and story. I thought it was just an Ali and Noah romance, and and the moment Lon shows up in this movie, I I was thrown for a loop because I was like, oh crap, wait a second, there's another guy here, and then. When you it's start, Cyclops. he's gonna, he can get anybody. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But when you start to to see these relationships, um, you know, I think traditionally our mind lingers and and goes automatically to this place of well, well, Lon is the bad guy for her, and and you know, Noah's the good guy for her, and this is very cut and dry. But in reality, that's not the case. Lon is not a bad guy. Nope. Lon is not a bad guy for her. He's not. And although. I don't necessarily want to sit here and I kind of want to ask you this, but I'm not going to put you on the spot and have you make Ellie's choice for her because that's not fair. (laughs) It's it's not fair for us, either of us to try and do that. But in looking at what her choices could have been, you know, I I look at this and, um, you know, I, I guess there's personal aspects that where I've, I've seen this play out, um, where you have a person who is kind of trying to decide between the safe and the secure option and the less secure and wildly passionate option. And I think another way to look at that might be which person is challenging Allie. So Lon doesn't challenge Mm. Allie. Lon just wants to to keep Allie the way Allie's always been and and everything's going to be great. I mean, he's not mean about it. He he loved in fact there's a a really touching scene where Lon's like, "Hey, I just want to tell you I love you. I really do." You know, like mm-hmm. and he he puts it on the line and I I believe him in that moment. There's no manipulation there. Um but he doesn't challenge her. He doesn't push her to to be anything. Um there's a great ending point where where Ryan Gosling and Noah is angry and frustrated and he, it's the end of his monologue where they're having the argument and he the last thing one of the last thing he says is I want you every day and it just like when he's yelling at it reminds me by the way of, of him and Emma Stone in the in the scene in La La Land there at the end where they're outside of her house in front of his car and he's like you're a baby mm-hmm. you're a big baby and and I see, so just and, so blunt and I see that very much here too like he's challenging Allie Noah's saying, listen, life is not all rainbows. You know, some of this happens in that scene in the rain. You know, it's not going to be easy, but this is, this is what I'm going to push you to be. And so you have, you have these two completely different options here. And I, it doesn't mean that one of them is wrong, but it is always going to be an interesting story seeing which one the person chooses and why. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, if you wanted to put me on the spot, there was a note that I had written down that may or may not answer this. And it's, first of all, I love Lon's ability to forgive. I mean, it's very amazing. He goes, I love you, Allie, but I want you for myself. And so he's very much aware of the reality that she's living in. And there's a line that Allie says when she's talking to him near the end of the movie. And she goes, I know that I should be with you. And what's great about this is it's an ambiguous line. Because you can read it one of two ways. You can say, by all accounts, she should. (laughs) You know, she's engaged to the man. She should be with him. And she does care about him. But what she should do isn't what is, quote, right for her. 
mm-hmm. you know? And I think there's this, there's this weirdness of like <laughs> the shoulds and the rights kind of get, get sort of blurred together or they get kind of looked at in, in different ways. And I think for her, we could argue that Juan was the right one for her and not just from a financial security point of view, not just because, you know, she is making her parents proud or anything like that. I mean, all the little tropes that would go into saying, this is why Lon's a bad guy, because as he mentioned, um, marrying him would basically give into her defiance of her parents all these years. I love, I love how aware he is of the fact that, you know, marrying him would do nothing but make her parents happy. And that's not what she wants to do. But we have that. And then we have it against Noah, who just loves her beyond everything. And there's a just this great moment, like after after the rainy, you know, sex night or whatever we're going to call it. <laughs> the, <next laughs> the rainy morning, sex night. Yes. I, I love it. I guess. <laughs> Then we have this 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 morning where she's covered up in her blanket and she follows his little like painted footsteps out to the porch and she sees an easel, you know, and it's his way of saying it's it's different than the scene where she says, I'm going to paint again to Lon. And he goes, OK. And it's it's Noah knowing her heart well enough to say, I want you to paint because this is who you are. You don't have to give this up to be with me. This isn't something that is now competing with my love for you. It should compliment me. And so it's those moments like that where I go, yes, she made the, I'm not going to say the right choice. She made the choice that was best for her by going with Noah, because I think he made her, because of the way he challenged her, he made her a better person. Would she have had a better life, quote unquote, with Lon? Absolutely. I mean, the guy came from what, was it Cotton? I can't remember what his family's uh, riches came from, but she would have been great in the eyes of her parents. She would have, you know, married the perfect man. It, but it wasn't just about choosing the rebel or choosing the quote bad guy. It was about being fulfilled in a way that mattered beyond just security. And and I'm based on her relationship with her mom and how her mom described the choice that she made. I can tell. I can see now how that was a tough choice for Allie to make. You know, it wasn't just about pleasing her parents, but it was about seeing really what she was giving up. <laughs> right. Because there's something there's something nice about about comfort and about security. But there's something quote, you know, a lot more romantic about, you know, pursuing your dreams and then having love attached to that. So it's good. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 nice that it's more than what I thought it was. Um I don't think I would have enjoyed it nearly as much had it just been this straight romance of these two characters that with a twist of that they're really the same people and we find out later yeah. there's there's actually ambiguity like you said there's that word there's there's choice there's um, a matter of getting to know these people and having to decide what's best for her and and really not necessarily knowing how it plays out um, because we don't we don't know even when we start to get hints throughout the film that duke is noah we don't necessarily know that they're together. That's one thing that they hold back from us and brilliantly. So because we, for all we know, she could have married Lon and this could be, Lon could be dead and 
now he's here, like just completing his circle. Like he's never given up on her. And now here he is after Lon died and he's come back to be her friend and tell her this, you know, like, I don't know. There's a many ways this could have gone. Right. Um, and they don't give that to us right away. Right. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to hit on before we, uh, let's circle, circle through the notes here. I don't think I did. I thought, um, I, I, you know, just real quick, I was really impressed with the script. I thought the, I thought the screenplay was, was nicely done. There were a lot of great, uh, scenes of dialogue that were, that were very well done and felt, didn't feel cheesy. They felt genuine and entertaining. And, uh, and I was, I was pleasantly surprised and, uh, and happy with those. It, they, it was, it was good stuff. I liked the screenplay quite a bit. Next week on what we've been up to, Patrick reviews the notebook, the book by Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> Only if OJ Simpson makes an appearance. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead then and go into the connecting point. Um, I'm going to go ahead and lead off if you don't mind with this one. Go. The, the thing that I chose for this, and, and I would say there were many in this film, which is not surprising for something that's so emotionally heightened throughout. Um, there's, like I said, there's many, many, many choices I could have made where I felt nearly as connected to the movie. But the one that meant the most to me, I think, was when Allie wakes up to the love note telling her that Noah went to get breakfast. Um, you just mentioned this just a little bit ago, actually. And it tells her, it's just this adorable note says, you know, follow the arrows. And she gets there and she finds an art studio and this easel set up. And it really drives home the idea that he had built this for her from the beginning. Um, the location of the barn is not a coincidence. Um, the fact that the room with the studio overlooks the water in a certain place in a certain direction is not a coincidence. It is exactly how she described earlier in this very place, the house that she wanted. Um, and what really, what really hits me here is just that he has not just been pining over her and thinking about her all these years, because what we see so often in real life and in, even in films is if you see a character who supposedly is in love with someone, this, this one, you're the one, right? But they're not going to end up getting back to that one or they're not going to, they're not going to actually be with that person for a while. There's all this stuff that happens in between. Oh, they go on this journey and they, they're with other women and, and we see some of that, right? But even when he's with another woman, that woman looks a lot like Allie. Like it's almost like he's not, he's like willing her into his life. But these moments of action, the building of the house, the building of the studio, the writing the letters for 365 days, even though she didn't get them. To me, that signifies someone who is actively preparing for her eventual arrival. And he's really just waiting for her. He, he always believes that it's going to happen. And he is, he's getting ready for her. And from a spiritual level, I can't help, I can't help but bring this up. And so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as a Christian who believes that my ultimate end of my life or, or is, is eternity in heaven, um, everything, literally everything I believe is based on Jesus telling me that he is preparing a place for me <laughs> in the, in eternity. 
And I cannot help but make that connection to this, to this part where that is what Noah is doing. He is preparing a place for Allie so that when she comes, he's ready for her. And it, this movie hit me. This movie is very emotionally powerful for me. So, um, so it may not be right now, um, that she's going to choose him. Right. And it wasn't for, for years. It may not be now and it may not be the way in which he wants it to be. But, but when that moment comes, if that moment comes, he's ready for her. And so that, that is my answer to the question I asked you earlier about, is it love or is it, infatuation this is to me when it becomes love because i have always believed that love is action um (laughs) love is a verb you know love love is is not just words um that you say and feelings that you feel it's 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 legitimate moving of the needle it's doing things and that is what noah shows us and i also think that it's really interesting and cool that we get to see so much of his character revealed by his future shots of him as Duke with Allie, because we Mm -hmm. never really see what Noah is like as a husband. We see the inconsistent and wild version of Noah that she dates that I don't know that I ever 100% believe this guy's going to be a great husband. (laughs) But the way that I know he's going to be a great husband is because I see again, I see his actions as Duke and I see what he is doing. I see what he's choosing to spend his life and his time on at that moment. And that, that action, that choice, that is what says how much he loves her to me. And mm-hmm. and that's when I really just like wholeheartedly like connect to this whole story. That's great, man. And I, I think as a supplement to that, the, the dialogue where, Duke is explaining why Noah can't give up the house. <laughs> Either someone agrees to his asking price and he, he says, no, it's worth a lot more. Someone pays five, you know, agrees to pay like five grand more and he runs them off the shotgun. That was hilarious, by the way. I mean, it's th- a great that scene. whole sequence was great, but it also is very revealing that we know deep in his heart, he is preparing that place for her mm-hmm. and that he believes. So, in a in a funny way, it sets up that scene later on, uh, in a small way. But I love that you made that connection because I did too. And I was like, "Gosh, what a beautiful picture of just anticipating, anticipating the arrival of your of your bride to be." Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's very very cool. It's also uh, just in that it's also interesting to me that his girlfriend knew. You know, when she, when, <laughs> when she comes back and Allie is there, there is no question in her mind, right? She's like, it's her, it's her. Yeah. And then she said, you know what? I'd just like to meet her because she sounds pretty awesome. And <laughs> it, the, I mean, there's no, like Noah, I, I guess I connect with him so much because I wear my heart on my sleeve. I can't fake my feelings. People will always know how I feel, especially when I'm being emotional. Like I just, I am not the kind of guy that can hide it. And Noah is that same type of person. Like he's not like his current girlfriend knows she knows she's just a placeholder mm-hmm. and she's okay with that. Whatever that means, it's fine. But like, she knows that that's what she is to him. Cause even, you know, cause she just so quickly, she recognizes it and she's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one you've actually been waiting for is coming now. So yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. And then she says something really interesting after that, when he's walking her out to the car and the last time we see her, she basically says, Seeing what you have makes me realize that there's something I can hope for. Oh, yes. Yes. That's actually 
really awesome. Yeah. So I think there's some redemption for her as well. Um, you know, she's not a tragic figure in this yeah, case. Yeah, I, I like that. She doesn't get, yes, you're right. I mean, that's a great point that she doesn't become a victim mm-hmm. of his bad choice in this story. She becomes someone who was uh, culpable in the relationship, kind of knowing very clearly that what they had was not quote unquote serious. Mm-hmm. And she gets to learn something that's going to help her, you know, in the future hopefully for her own romance as well. So I, yeah, I actually really like that. It's a good point. Yeah. It'll be in the notebook too. You know, the sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Incidentally, the note that I put for that scene that your connecting point, I put boom, art studio, fill up that love tank and then paint naked. (laughs) Cause that's essentially like, (laughs) that's so good. (laughs) Vulnerability. Okay. (laughs) Well, what was that? What was your connecting point? Uh, well, I had two, uh, in the running. One was the, um, the one that didn't make it was the breakup scene outside of, uh, Allie's house just right. after they almost had sex. And it just revealed a lot of the themes of the movie that, uh, that are in this, you know, pursuing your dreams versus pursuing love, security versus risk, even fighting the social status. Um, but the one moment that, that really stood out to me, and I think this is what a lot of people would gravitate towards, is that scene near the end of the movie where they are arguing and that's what they do best. They argue, they fight. (laughs) And what I really, really connected with was Noah's honesty with her. And he says, quote, so it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. And we're going to have to work at this every day, but I want to do that because I want you, I want all of you forever, you and me every day. And then he asked the question, will you do something for me, please? Will you just picture your life for me 30 years from now, 40 years from now? What's it look like? If it's with that guy, go, go. I lost you once. I think I could do it again. If I thought it's what you really wanted. But don't, take, don't you take the easy way out. What do you want? And at this moment, I'm like, ugh, the pain of the ambiguity. You know, here's Noah just going, I don't, I want you to know what it is you want if it's this guy great if it's me great you know what i want but don't make these decisions for your for anybody else but yourself it's i I love that he puts it on her telling her that to do what she wants not what he or law and her parents he wants her to choose for herself and i really believe that if she for herself chose a life that didn't include him he could live with that but he also knows that she is the most free when she is with him. And so there's this, there's this like tension that exists in this moment where it's like he wants her, it's that stupid cliche. If you love someone, set them free nonsense or whatever. But there's some truth to that. That's stupid. Because Sorry. I think <laughs> personal. <laughs> I don't like this scene. Go ahead. <laughs> What I think is powerful, there's a lot of powerful stuff in this scene, but what I think is great is the fact that Noah wants, when he says, I want all of you every day, I think he he would feel cheated if she chose him because that's what he wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that if he knew that she said, you know what, I don't know what I want, 
Noah seems like the best thing for me right now, so I'm going to choose him. I think he would feel incomplete because he knew that he would be a manipulator in that sense. He would be the person that in some direct or indirect way caused her to not fulfill what it is that or who it is that she's supposed to be. Um, I mean, I think it's great that she ends up choosing him, but I think it's even better that she ends up choosing him because that's what she wants and not what he or anybody else does. I love the fact that she's not choosing him because he's the rebel. <laughs> she's choosing him because she really sincerely does love him. And that even if it's not correct, it's right for her. And to me, I, I think on a personal level, there's something very attractive to see someone who's confident in who they are. Um, one thing that, that I, I love about my wife is when I see her doing things and acting out of confidence, acting out of a gifting that she has or an ability that she has, seeing her in those elements. Because when you're confident, when you're assured of who you are in a certain facet, you lift people up. You make people attracted to you. And, and not just in a physical, like, not, not even like physically or sexually or whatever, but this idea of people gravitate towards a person who is confident in the things that they, uh, that they express. And so when I see her doing things that, um, that she is very much like walking in confidence in, I want to be around her. I want to be next to her and be like, that's my wife. That woman is who I married and she chose me. <laughs> Can you believe that? And you become proud of this. And I think that's what Noah wanted. I think he wanted to say, I want to be with someone that I can be proud of. Someone that I know is, is comfortable in, in her own skin enough that I can say, this is my love. This is my bride. The one who loves me, but the one who has so many other things about her that make her who she is. And I think he would have felt like there would have been a, a gap in their relationship had she chosen him because that's what he wanted. Um, it's just a powerful scene, uh, you know, aside from the fact that he can be completely blunt with her, <laughs> which is just amazing. I think it's, we don't get that a lot in romantic tales. We don't get people just yelling like, you know, you know, you're a pain in the butt and I'm a selfish blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like brutal honesty. So real uh, though, man. I mean, it, it is, is it? I don't know. I mean, I, blah, blah, I don't even know. I, I'm not going to go too deep into it, I guess, but it just, I, I've lived so many pieces of this in my life, in this type of relationship that's like this. Um, there's, there's a, a specific point actually where the narrator says they didn't agree on much. In fact, they re rarely agreed on anything. <laughs> they fought all the time and they challenged each other every day. Uh, but despite their differences, they had one important thing in common. They were crazy about each other. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, it just, you know, love is work. And, and Noah says that as well in here. And you choose it every single day. You yep. choose it. There are days when you feel in love and you are, your heart's happy and full and you giddy and you know, you, you know, you act like a little schoolboy or schoolgirl who's writing love notes, et cetera. And all of those, those romantic things. And then 
there are plenty more days where you wake up and you go, man, I'd rather do something else today. But you choose to love the person you chose to love. And I, I think this movie shows us that. And, and it's crazy <laughs> to say that, to be honest. Like I, you don't expect it. Um, and so it is, yeah, it's, I, I feel like there's some reason, there's, there's, there's good reason why, um, so many people actually respond highly to this film. Um, despite it's kind of so-so rating as far as a movie goes from critics. Um, it actually got really high rating from Roger Ebert, believe it or not. Um, I was pretty shocked. So he saw, he saw it <laughs> and, uh, he was one of the best of us when it comes to film critics. <laughs> For sure. So that's all I had, man. Good. Well, I guess it's time to wrap up. Uh, for me, if you would like to carry on the conversation with me and talk to me at all about the notebook or, movies in general, or anything and everything entertainment, you can find me online at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Uh, you can also find the show at Feelin' Film, F-E-E-L-I-N-F-I-L-M on Twitter. Uh, also, you can find it by searching us there on Facebook, and you can find our Facebook group, which we would love for you to come join uh, and talk about movies with us each and every day. Next week... Patrick, I am excited, 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 excited. So we got you to watch a kind of horror movie last week uh, when we covered life in the theaters, uh, the the sci-fi thriller, probably more so than horror. Right um, and we're going to go with another kind of thriller, but kind of horror flick next week. We want to <sighs> continue. I know, but I know I'm so excited, though. But you, we were going to continue our Bill Paxton love. So we did Tombstone. And we, we didn't feel like it was enough Bill Paxton. So I have talked Patrick into covering Frailty. And this one not only stars Bill Paxton, but Bill Paxton directed this movie. Um, it is a crazy movie. And you have not seen it, right, Patrick? I have not. <laughs> I'm so excited. I am so excited <laughs> because knowing the themes of this film, I know I know how important your faith is to you. And I think that this is going to be an awesome experience and it's going to be just so much, so much, so much, so much fun to talk through. Um, so please listeners come back next week, get ready uh, because we're going to have an awesome conversation about frailty. I have no doubt. Well, good stuff, man. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, if I don't like it, I can always follow it up with weird science, which is a nice safe Bill Paxton movie to follow things. <laughs> if you want to um, connect with me on social media, you can find me at shoeless patch S H O E L E S S. P-A-T-C-H. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find me at all the, the famous social media outlets. You can also find out more about me at my website, thisispatch.com. If you want to find out more about the show, check out past episodes, read some really great blog posts and reviews from our contributors as well as ourselves, you can check us out at feelinfilm.com. Also, if you want to find more content, we have bonus content that's available on our Patreon page, Patreon dot com slash feeling film we'd love it if you came aboard and became a patron contributing as little as uh, two dollars a month gets you access to um, bonus content extra stuff after the fact um, episodes that we've covered and uh and really just kind of helps us out helps us cover the costs of this uh this show that we've been doing for what almost a year now yeah oh, five yeah. days away from yep almost so um, if you're interested in that patreon.com slash feeling film and if you'd be so inclined, we'd love it if you would give us a rate and review on iTunes. 
We, we love getting feedback from our listeners, finding out what, uh, what they're liking, what could make the show better. Uh, all that kind of stuff helps us to grow the show more and get it more um, akin to what you guys really want to hear. We're so glad with all the feedback we've gotten so far. But if you get a chance to do that, just uh, queue up iTunes, look for us in the uh, podcast store, I guess that, that would be, <laughs> and then uh, and then drop us a review there. So but that's all I got, man. All right. Well, it's been fun. I like it. And uh, maybe we'll actually do another romance sometime down the road. We're going to wait a year. Two, three, four years. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Just call it a hopeful, hopeful romance. Or hopeful. Never mind. That, yeah. that didn't work. All right, listeners. Nope. Until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling film.